tonight we are coming to the word. We'll be looking at different passages of scripture, but we continue with our study in the Baptist faith, the message. And it's important that we have uh, a document or a confession that we say, this is what we believe. So when people are going, what, what do you teach there at Perimeter Road? What do you believe as Baptists? One thing you can point them to the Baptist Faith and Message of 2000, and you say, this is a document that we hold to. And so we have just been committed over last semester and this semester to going through the Baptist Faith and Message. We should be finished uh, by May, or at the end of May, uh, going through the Baptist Faith and Message of 2000. And so maybe you received a copy of that tonight for the first time. And I wanna encourage you just to take a pen or pencil or mascara, whatever you may have, and make some notes right there along with it. And if you've been keeping up with your Baptist Faith and Message document, I hope that you're continuing to make notes because this could be a valuable resource for you to have. And so before we get started, I mean, we are looking at the church tonight, article number six. And we'll read a, a little bit from the Baptist Faith and Message and break it down and read a little bit more, and we'll finish off tonight. Um, but before we get there, I want to I read some scripture to you. If you will turn to Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3. If you have a pew Bible right there in front of you, um, it is page um, 973. And so if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 3 with me. And Clint alluded to this just a moment ago. Um, but what we uh, know here is that we have uh, been bought with a price and it has been the work of Jesus Christ who redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so Galatians chapter three, starting in verse 13, says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. And this is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so what we see here is that Christ became a curse for us by hanging on the tree. And he is the offspring which was spoken of way back in Genesis when God made a covenant with Abraham or at that time, Abram. And I wanna remind you that when God made this covenant and they sliced the animal in half, Abram went to sleep and it was God who walked through the sacrifice. So God did all the work. It's always been about God's work. Okay, that, that's how we're saved. That's how we know who God is. That's how we can call ourselves the church because of God's work. And so you can ask anyone when you have a conversation with them, why are you a Christian? And if they go immediately to the point of saying, because I have done, or because I am good, or because I'm better than, all of those have missed it. Okay. The only hope we have is in the work that Christ has done, and he is the best, right? And so we trust fully in the work of Christ Jesus. And this is what is encouraged to pastors 
when they oversee the flock. And I want to remind you that the church is also a group of sheep, okay? And we can say that sheep are dumb, that sheep could walk off cliffs, and, and those things are true. I mean, that, that happens, okay? A sheep wanders off, and you need a shepherd if you're a sheep. But sheep gather together, there's strength in numbers, and that's why it's important for us to gather together as the church. But we also see that we have a shepherd who laid his life down for us, and when he laid his life down for us, something happened. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So I just wanted to mention that right up front, that when we're talking about the church, we're talking about a group of people. And so uh, you've heard me maybe give this illustration before, or maybe this is your first time seeing it tonight, but I'll give it to you again as a child. I always was told that uh, here is the church, here is the steeple, open up the door and come out all the people, okay? And that's a cute little illustration. Problem is, it's wrong, <laughs> This not biblical. Um, when you open up the door, it doesn't come out all the people. The church isn't this, and you know it, maybe there's a steeple, yeah. But when you open up the doors, out comes the church, out come the sheep. So we can worship without this. Now this, I'm going to just go ahead and say it's nice to have this tonight. Uh, this building, it's nice to have warm air. I told Lee crank up the heat tonight because it's a big room and uh, it's cold outside. Uh, but look, we can still worship without this building. But think about how many times you may be riding down the road and you point and you say, look at that church, or I wonder what's going on in that church, or I've never been to that church, or I know somebody who goes to that church. And we point to the building and we say the church, but really what we're talking about is we're saying that there are people who meet in there and the people who meet in there, that is the church. So let us not say that the church is only here, because if you're thinking is that the church is this building, the walls and the steeple, then you're gonna take the work of God and you're only gonna implement it right here. And that goes against what we see in the word of God, that we are to go out into all the world and make disciples. And we do that as the church, as the sheep, as those whom Christ has purchased with his blood, which leads to a very important question. When did Christ purchase the church? He purchased the church one time, one time only. It has happened. He'll never do it again, as we see promised in Hebrews. He purchased us at the cross. So when Jesus shed his blood, he indeed did pay for real sin, and he paid for his bride, the church. So with saying that and setting all that up, let's look at the Baptist Faith and Message, article number six, and here we go. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, let's break this down a little bit. What we're gonna look, we're gonna look into the word. We're gonna break this down theologically. And then also we're gonna kind of see the practical side of how we um, conduct business, how we operate as a local church, how we function as a local church. church. So fully on sola scriptura. And if you were with us back in October, when we looked at the five solas, we looked at sola scriptura, meaning that scripture is the final authority. So when we come together and we teach, we, were teach, we are teaching from the word of God. And we're, not, we're, not, we're not thinking up ideas. 
We're not thinking up sermon series. We're not trying to teach you how to have a successful life and planning all that out and then going to the Bible and saying, okay, how can the Bible help us with this? No, no, no. We go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible have written? What is God's word, his authority? And from God's authority, then we learn, okay? So we become lovers of God's word. And if this is the case, then to be a Baptist is to be called or to be a biblical Christian. It's to be a Baptist church means to be a biblical church. And so we don't say this boastfully as if we're something great. We boast in the Bible. And so when people say, why do you go to that Baptist church? And you say, because it's a Bible believing church. Because when we come, we open up the word and we want to know what the Bible says. We actually believe that these words still apply to today. And so we want to learn all there is there. And we believe that God has given us the Holy Spirit. And as the pastor preaches and as we read, the Holy Spirit is at work and we are learning this word. It becomes alive. I see this in my own life. I hope that you see this in your life as well. So the Greek word for church is ekklesia. It's a compound of two words, meaning to call out, to call out. And that's what happens with the church. We are called out. We are the sheep and the sheep know his voice. If we look back in John chapter 10, we know the shepherd's voice. Why do you know the shepherd's voice when he calls? Because you're sheep, you're sheep. That's God's plan. It's God's plan for you to know him and he has made it possible by his grace. And so the common Greek ecclesia was an assembly composed of duly called members. So when we join together as the church, we are a people who agree. We agree there's one shepherd. Who's that shepherd? Jesus. Jesus. I'm not your shepherd. Joby's not your shepherd. Will's not your shepherd. Clint's not your shepherd. Uh, your community group leader's not your shepherd. Okay, I'm not gonna come to you with some crazy vision. Okay, last night I was dreaming and all of a sudden something happened. Now, now that I said that, I'm gonna have a crazy vision tonight, all right? Could be the Bojangles I ate earlier, I don't know. But come to you with some crazy vision or all of a sudden I start spouting off in some language that you don't understand and somebody says, hey, he's, he's speaking in tongues and, and now we, we, we're gonna hear a word from him. No, you're not gonna hear any of that. What are you going to hear here? We're going to open up the word and we're going to say, here's what the Bible says. And why? Because the good shepherd has laid it all out for us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, as we see in John chapter one. So the shepherd has come to live among us and we have the word. We teach the word and Christ is the one leading the church. So just in short, what is the role of a pastor? He's, a, he's an under shepherd of the chief shepherd. And it's quite a privilege to hold the role, but it is all glory to Christ Jesus, who is the head of the church, being the body. Now, the church is a royal priesthood. So if we're people that come together and we have Jesus in common, that's a common statement that we make all the time. We're here around the table because we have Jesus in common. That's why we're here. We're not here because you attain something special and I attain something special and we just have different minds than everybody else, okay? No, we're here because of Jesus. That's why we're here, okay? So Jesus brings us together, but when we're here together, there's something special about us. We are a royal priesthood, priesthood of believers. 1 Peter 2, 8 and 9. If you wanna turn there with me, we can read it. 1 Peter 2, 8 and 9. 
there's a reason why you don't call me a priest. There's a reason why we don't have off to the side over here one door that you go in and another door that I go in and we sit down and you begin to confess sin in your life. And there's a reason why I don't turn back to you and then say, bless you brother or bless you sister for your confession. Now go do these things and you will be forgiven of your sin. There's a reason why I don't forgive you of your sin because I don't have the power to forgive you of your sin. I'm, I'm not a priest. And, and, and being Baptist, we don't have priests. Um, we have pastors. We have deacons. Um, sometimes they may think they're priests. They may think more highly of themselves than they should. Uh, but as a church, we're the priesthood of believers, meaning that Christ Jesus is Lord over all of us and when we come together, we minister in the name of Christ and our boast is in Jesus, that he is the great high priest. And so we see 1 Peter 2, 8 and 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's promising. That's hopeful. And what we see in this passage is that we're a chosen race royal priesthood, holy nation. You say, oh, he must be talking about Israel, the Old Testament. No, he's not. He's talking about the church. This is the church. This is Peter encouraging the church during a great time of persecution. And we have a great hope in knowing that we were called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Remember what we said ecclesia is? It means to call out. So you were called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Also, we see this from the book of Hosea, and then we see it here now in 1 Peter 2. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We are enemies of God. You, you were not striving to please God when he chose you and made you his very own. You were going against him. You were his enemy, and yet he loved you. And it's all because of his grace. And so, because of this, we do not have presiding priests over the local church. We together are a priesthood of believers. If you were to go to Germany and do a Reformation tour and you were to go look at the different church buildings of the Catholic church buildings and the Protestant church buildings, you would notice something quite significant in their architecture. When you go to see the dome that's on top of the building for all the Catholic uh, buildings, you see the dome over where the priest stands and teaches because Catholics view him as the priest. He's the head guy. He's the most holy one in this building. When you go to a Protestant church building, the dome is over where the lay members sit, where the church sits. Uh, it's, a, it's a bigger dome. What does it represent? Is that these are a holy people. Why are they holy? 
because they're not like some guy who, who has gained merit with God and is now more special and he is called a priest. No, this is the priesthood believers. They're special because Jesus made them special. So they're the priesthood believers. I kid you not. That is how they have built their buildings over there in Germany. You can go over there and see it for yourself. Take a 10-day trip. Have an awesome time. All right. Now, we gather together, and this is our hope, that not, not a single person in this room could boast that they're better than another person. I think it's very important that we understand that tonight. No one in this room is, is more holy than another person in this room. And we can nod our heads and say, yeah, I agree with that. But do we really believe that? Because for the longest time in, in the local church, I did not believe that. I mean, I looked at different people and I thought they are more holy than I am. Maybe because they've been around longer. Um, they've had more quiet times than me. They know more scripture memory than I know. They pray. Okay, come on, let's be honest. They pray better than we do. Okay, and we sit there and go, man, if I could just pray like that, right? And we, and we think all of these things, and here's what it causes us to do. It causes us to shrink back. And we go, I'm not as holy as they are, so I'm just going to kind of step back and wait my time. No, the time is now, and your confidence is always in Christ Jesus. And so maybe you're not really good at praying. Maybe you don't flow when you pray, but you know what? You've been gifted the opportunity to pray and talk to the Father through Christ because all that Christ has accomplished for you. And you can walk through these doors uh, knowing that you had an incredibly tough week and yet you still have the confidence because of what Christ has accomplished, not what you accomplished that week. And if we all get that as a people, we're gonna be a very welcoming place. And Baptist churches of all places should be welcoming. But the sad thing is, is that a lot of Baptist churches are not very welcoming. You walk in, they're stale, they're cold. Why? Because they're not getting this. They're missing this. It's Christ Jesus who has made us who we are. And this is the hope that we have as a people. And so when we come together, we rejoice in going, isn't Jesus great? Isn't Jesus great? And we should boast in Christ all the more. Like if, if you just hear the name Jesus and go, yeah, Jesus is great. No, you're, you're not feasting on Christ as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, right? I mean, that's what we are to be doing. We are to feast on Christ. And so what we see in this Baptist faith, the message as we come together as a church is that we are a priesthood of believers, baptized believers coming together, associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. So with this covenant in faith, there's a great accountability. But before we get to that point, let me just mention these things. The church's one foundation is Christ. So what's the foundation of Perimeter Road Baptist Church? Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And not only are, is the one foundation Christ, but also the church is the bride of Christ. So we are special. So that's why I, I think it's vitally important for us to also understand that as Baptists, we recognize that when you are turning into to the New Testament and you see this whole promise from the Old Testament and we get to the new, there's not a promise for Israel, a race of people, and then the church, a different race of people. Okay? There's not a highlight of Israel and a highlight of the church. There's just the church. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles. And both of them are undeserving people. But yet there are many who still teach that there's still Israel and Israel holds this special place and then there's the church. But only is it with the church that we are spoken of as the bride 
of Christ. And if he is the groom, I would say that that's a pretty special place to be. Now, I know, men, it's hard for us to imagine being a beautiful bride, but you know what? That's how God chose to explain it to us. And so we are, we'll rock with it. We are a beautiful bride. And when you look in Ephesians 5, 22 through 32, what you see is the breakdown of husbands and wives. And the beautiful thing of this is that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And this is a hard command. If we're, if we're doing premarital counseling, if we're sitting down with this and we're going through uh, Christ loved his wife or uh, you were to love your wife as Christ loved the church, I pause there and say, you do realize that this is the hardest commandment. Like, this is the most difficult thing for you to do because Christ loves us perfectly. Meaning that he loves his church up front 100%, not based on anything that the church is going to do. Right? Now, if you're married in the house, one thing you know is that through the years, your love should grow and your love does grow. If you sit there and you say at the altar, I love you today as I will always love you. 20 years from now, 30 years from now. I hope you're not being truthful because your love's gonna be even greater through the years. But when you were redeemed by Christ Jesus and he says, I love you today as I've always, as I've always loved you and I always will love you, he's truthful. His love does not grow and it does not fall based on your performance. And so you are his bride. We are the bride of Christ and we are loved. One thing that keeps us from coming into this place sometimes is we don't believe what I just said. We feel guilty for some of the things we've done in our life. We feel guilty because maybe we've gotten out of rhythm and we need to remind each other that, hey, we're the bride of Christ. Christ still loves us the same. And that is absolutely 100% correct. And so in the Old Testament, how was God displayed? We see that the omnipresence of God was presented in the tabernacle and in the temple where he would come in the Shekinah glory and tabernacle with the people as the priests went about uh, their sacrifices. But in the New Testament, the omnipresent God is particularly manifested in the powerful presence of Jesus Christ in the local church. Now, with that being said, I wanna make the connection of why it's so important that you understand that the church just doesn't exist in this building. Because if Christ is making himself known through the local church, then he ought to be making himself known when you go to work tomorrow. Where's God placed you? Can, I want to just pause for a second because this is a beautiful thing. I just want you to, you're going to have to speak loud, but I just want you to just shout out, where do you, where do you work? Waffle House. Waffle House. Do you really? You really? I got it. Which location? XL11. All right. That's awesome. Good. All right. Waffle House. All right. So we got a Waffle House in the house. All right. What else? Where else? Wendy's. SGMC. Come on, I know you don't have to think about where you work. Come on, shout it out where you are. Anybody? Subway, eat fresh. What's that? <laughs> City of Valdosta. Yeah, what else? Come on, guys, really, shout it out. Ace Lock and Key. South Mahone. Nobody else, nobody else works, man, golly day. Okay, well, we got a few. <laughs> You're helping me out, come on, where do you work? I work at Perimeter Baptist Church, where do you work? Where are you at? 
Where you at? Blaine and Griffin. There you go. Some good people over there, right? What's that? Chick-fil-A. There it is. Invent that chicken sandwich. All right, now listen. Just, just 10 places that were their name that tomorrow the church is going to be represented. That's just 10, and, and the other 30 of you, you're going to be in a location somewhere tomorrow where God's going to have you, and we're going to be present there, and that's the church being present. And what's he going to do? He's going to be manifesting himself through you. And you go, wow, what, what, what have I done to be so blessed? Nothing. Nothing. Again, it's all what he has done. And you can boast in that. You can boast in that. Let me tell you what people need to hear out there in the world. Because they look to the church and they think the church people think that they're all special and they've done something great. And yeah, No, boast in Jesus. Boast in Jesus tomorrow. And so that's how Christ is making himself known. People say, well, God's sovereign. He's going to save those whom he's going to save. And amen to that. Glory be to God. Yes, he will. And if he didn't, nobody would be saved. But listen, he's put his church here right now in this time, in this season to make him known. And that's how people are going to know. Nobody will know unless they hear. And they're going to hear from you about Jesus tomorrow as we multiply. And that's how God has chosen it to be. And what a beautiful picture of his bride, which we know we're not beautiful, but yet he has given us such hope and such promise because of the groom doing all the work for us. And so when we gather together as Baptists, this is what we believe, that Christ is the champion and that we are to go forth and declare of his greatness. Now, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant and the faith, the fellowship and fellowship of the gospel. Now, this is one thing that isn't popular among churches, but it is something that we do believe as Baptists is church discipline. Church discipline is badly abused in many places and many times it's just completely ignored. But church discipline is important. Church discipline begins with one-on-one. -on -one. You see a brother or sister who's not obediently walking in Christ, you go to them and you meet with them, and you pray with them, and you call out the things that you see that aren't biblical in their life. That's one-on-one. -on -one. That's being faithful. But then if they say, get out of my face, I don't, I don't want to deal with this, then you go get a brother and say, hey, we're coming back. And see, it's, it's not me who's coming to you. It's this brother over here. It's this sister over here that sees it, and we love you, and we want to pray with you, and we want to see you get your life in line with Christ. You see, the, the, the whole reason for church discipline is not to embarrass you, it's not to shame you or to ridicule, ridicule you. And, and let's, just, let's just be honest. I mean, if, if we look in the tabloids, if we look the way our culture represents itself, like there is a thrill in knocking somebody down, right? But that's not the church. That's not the church because none of us have the right to stand upon the foundation of Christ. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we find ourselves standing and singing this new song that he has put within us. And so our goal is to see somebody restored. It should break our hearts when we see one another not walking in the joy of Christ. And then if those two people aren't getting it done, you say, hey, we're going to come before the church. We're going to come before the church and, and, and make this known because we want you healed. And so when people come and they pick a church and they base it off very... Um, minute things and they say you know what i just like the music here or i just kind of like the style I like how everybody dresses here it's pretty cool like i think i'll choose here you know and then they don't like what happens and then they just leave that's that's become all too easy 
But may we be a local church that as Baptists, we truly believe that church discipline's real and should be practiced. And we see Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to Uh, Listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So, what are we seeing in this passage? One, Jesus is speaking of the church before he goes to the cross, because the church is Jesus' idea. And then, two, we see that when he speaks of a Gentile and a tax collector, it's before he goes to the cross, and he knows the attitude of his disciples towards the Gentiles. And he's saying, hey, the way you feel about the Gentiles and separating yourselves from them right now, when we talk about this whole church and when this thing gets established and you see that people who are being disobedient, there may come a time where you have to separate yourself from them if they're being willfully disobedient and they're not changing. Like, we should care that much. We should care that much for each other. And it can't, it's got to go beyond just one person or two people who care. When we say we're a priesthood of believer, we actually care for the people who are in our community group. We actually care for the people we sit to the right and to the left of, although they may feel like strangers. But guess what? If you're in this building, we shouldn't be strangers to each other, should we? I mean, we should take the time to get to know each other. That takes effort. That takes getting out of comfort zones. But the church is special. The church is special. And the church should care for one another. And if we're going to care for one another, we need to know one another. And so I just want to encourage you. One, I just want to say thank you for being here on Wednesday nights. I want to thank you for your leadership. And, and I want to encourage you to get to know each other. If you, if you walk down the hallway and you see somebody you don't know, maybe you'll just do something absolutely crazy. You'll stop. You'll say, hey, my name is, and you say your name and you put your hand out there and you shake their hand. That would be crazy, right? I mean, just to do that randomly down the hallway in this building. But listen, that's, that's what we should do. And, and not being silly here, like we really should get to know each other because it's, we have a job to do. And that's to push one another towards godliness and looking to Christ, encouraging one another, praying for one another, caring for one another. That, that should be the trademark of our local church. We, we're in a covenant together in Christ Jesus. And so we'll talk about baptism. We'll talk about communion in the next couple of weeks. I, there's a lot that we could cover here, but let me just kind of come to a close almost. Like I said that, almost. Um, the gifts of the Spirit in the presence of Christ empower the church to act. The ordinances and laws of Christ define the limits of the church's actions. The Great Commission defines the direction of the church's actions. And so we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of Christ empowers the church to act. We have the ordinances, which is baptism. We have communion. We have the laws of Christ, which is the word of God, which define the limits of the church's actions. So we work within the framework of scripture. That's why we wanna know scripture. Okay. Some would say, man, I mean, listen, there, there are really those out there who would say, pastors out there uh, who would say, 
Picking a book of the Bible and preaching through it is lazy work. It's lazy work. It's, a, it's, it's much more creative to think of sermon series that you can do and be creative in your ideas and thought. And I'd say, I'm going to let you go do that. And then I'm going to do the gruesome task of preaching through a book of the Bible. And I'm just going to give testimony to you. This is not a woe is me moment. I, I promise you that. We all have our challenges in our work. But one of the most difficult tasks of being a pastor is going through a book of the Bible and then standing up before you and teaching it. Okay? You may think that we stand up and go, oh man, they're so confident. They're so comfortable up there. What are, I mean, listen, when we're studying this during the week, there are times and moments where I'm going, Jesus, I'm really afraid I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. You know what's helpful though? Is I know I have a church that prays for me and we have a church that prays for us as a staff of pastors as we teach. And so I covet your prayers. Will covers your prayers. Uh, Joby and Clint and others who teach and preach. Uh, and your, your Bible teachers on Sunday morning in your community groups, pray for them as we take the word and we teach it. But I can guarantee you, it's not lazy. Um, it's important. And we work within this framework. And so with that, um, the Great Commission defines the direction of the church's action. So when we're talking about multiply and somebody goes, oh, what an amazing idea that is. What a great theme. Way to go, guys. No, it, we told you where it came from. It's the Great Commission, okay? It's to go and make disciples. And so with that, let me, let me kind of turn it a little bit. Each congregation operates under the Lordship of Christ through democratic processes. I'll explain that in just a moment. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. Okay, now I'm gonna ask this question. Clint's up there um, and Clint, I want you to look and see how many hands are raised here, okay? How many of you have been through perimeter basics? Raise your hand. Wow. Check that out. You see that? That's like three quarters, right? I mean, that's 75, 80%. All right. So that means most of you who are in this room have only been here uh, for three, three and a half, four years max. Is that right? If you've been through perimeter basics. And so um, in perimeter basics, we, we talk about the church. We talk about the role of, of deacons. We talk about the role of pastor. So you, this will be familiar to you. Uh, but for those who have been here beyond four years, uh, you may hear something new, okay? Now, that's kind of reverse from what we normally hear. Listen, New Testament church is ruled by Jesus Christ, governed by the congregation, led by pastors, and served by deacons. Let me say that again. The New Testament church is ruled by Jesus Christ, governed by the congregation, led by pastors, served by deacons. How is that played out? Christ Jesus is our king. He's the one who rules this local church. We make decisions as a congregation, okay? There are important matters that you vote and that you approve of and that you give affirmation of. You are led by elders. You are led by pastors, okay? In the preaching of the word and the leadership of the local church that comes through your pastors and through the staff. And then you are served, a lot of our key servant roles are by deacons, okay? And so if we were to break this down and we have more time to do it, we would see that deacons um, are, men serving, uh, are men serving in a servant role, but also there's a role of deaconess that we see. I know, right? Crazy. And yet we have a lot of deaconesses in this local church, okay? They don't go by deaconess because we don't want to freak everybody out yet, okay? Um, they may back, go by the role of director, okay? Um, what is their role? Servants, they're not teaching men, okay? 
Um, they are serving in the local church and they play huge servant roles. And so when you look at the qualifications of a deacon, let me just start with deacon first, since we're already there. With qualifications of a deacon, we see that there's a role for a woman or for a wife that you don't see that role in the qualifications of an elder. Pretty interesting that you see that breakdown. What could we take from that is that women can have a role in serving, and you do. You serve in this local church in a great way. And so we have many roles of service, okay? But let me make it really clear, in the Baptist church, and, and, and this is not the same across the land of Baptists, but in some Baptist churches, you have deacons who serve as elders. They serve as elders and deacons. And, and the reason they got in that position is because they've had such a turnover rate of pastors that they've said, you know what? Forget giving that authority to the pastor. We're gonna take that authority upon ourselves. And you know, the challenge of that is that when a pastor comes in, he can't lead because he's got about six, eight, nine, ten men who won't let him lead because they've established that leadership because they just got tired of pastor turnover. It's challenging. We ought to pray for these local churches that they get it right. But here's the deal. Deacons serve. And we have some really good deacons. We're going to have some more great deacons that come on. And their role, when you look at it, you say, what do deacons do? What decisions do they make? Hardly any. You ask them. When we get around the table, we're talking about service. We're talking about ministering to widows, ministering to those in the hospital, men's and women's ministry. We're talking about helping hands. We're talking about food bank. We're talking about missions. A lot of the things that would be neglected if we didn't have deacons serving. And so they're servants. That's what our deacons do. And then you look at our pastors and our pastors are put in a position to lead and to make a lot of the important decisions because people say, we want a vision. And where there's a lack of vision, the people perish. And so you call pastors along so that they present a vision and you head in a direction. And glory be to God, we're moving in a direction. And so in that, you're trusting your pastors to take the leadership role. They're not your priests. They're not your kings. They're not your rulers. They're not your dictators. They're to read, they're, they should lead with humility. They should fit the qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy 3. But you need pastors. You need faithful pastors so that they'll teach you the word week in and week out. Because look, how many of you, by a show of hands, would say that the Bible is awfully difficult to understand? Just can you throw them up there? Maybe get a better position participation than when we asked you to call out your job. Okay, good. All right. Most of you did. All right. Now, here's the deal. It is challenging, but to know you have those who are pouring over the scriptures and that there are others who are pouring prayers out for these pastors as they teach. We're all growing together. We're all growing together. So that's why it's important for you to be here. And that's the important role of a pastor. Um, a pastor must stand his ground. A pastor can't be a pushover. Lead by the conviction of the word. There are times that we may sit down together and we may differ on something, but we're gonna hold to the word of God, okay? And so in doing that, and that's why it's so important to teach through the word because we're all held accountable to it. Now, let me just tell you, if we didn't teach through the Bible, I know some of the hot topic stuff I'd stay away from. But when you teach through the word, you're gonna cross it. And then you have to teach it. And glory be to God, because the person sitting out there who says, well, you were thinking about me when you preached that. And I was like, well, maybe you were thinking about you when I was preaching that. Maybe the Holy Spirit's all over you on this, all right? But we're just teaching through the Bible. We're just going through the Word, all right? And that's, that's something special, I, th I think, about Baptists, that they were known for holding to the Word, preaching the Bible. And so 
the church is vitally important in, in the key decisions that we make and as we move forward. One of those most important things is every year when we approve our budget, you've seen that. And, and it's important because you should have a say, you should ask questions, you should be informed in those things that are happening as we are good stewards of what God brings into this place. And so through a democratic process, what, is, what does this mean? Um, we, we looked at the role of pastor, elder, deacon. Again, as I said, I mean, with just maybe three minutes left, I mean, there's more that we could look into this, but let me just explain it this way. That every Baptist church is different, okay? Um, I have friends who attend Methodist uh, congregations in this town, and they know that they may have a pastor on rotation and he may only be there four years, and they don't have a say in it, really. He may get moved somewhere else, and they may see that as a healthy system. Um, let me just say I'm glad I'm not Methodist. I really like it around here. And so um, we are autonomous, meaning that we make our own decisions in-house. We don't have elders that are um, in Tifton or in the Valdosta area that are making decisions for South Georgia. We don't have elders that are in Atlanta that are shifting pastors around and making decisions for the local churches. Now that trust is put within each autonomous local church. So if you're wondering how that worked, um, we make all our decisions in-house. Now we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, meaning that we... Uh, agree with the Baptist faith and message. I mean, that's what we hold to. Um, we may be different, and, and not maybe. I mean, we are. We're different than other Baptist churches. We're different than other Baptist churches in this town. But you know what we strive to do is to have Christ in common and to continue to go and reach those who don't know Christ. But in saying that, just because we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention does not mean that there's a president of the convention that's making decisions for Primrose Baptist Church. All these things are made among us. And so it's important that we together are healthy, that we encourage one another, that we can be the most healthy position that we can be in so that we are making godly decisions and that we are continuing to add to our number as we're making it all about Christ Jesus. And then you go and plant other churches who behave the same way. Because one of the greatest ways, now in with this, one of the greatest ways to see more people follow Jesus is to plant new churches. Plant a new church in an area and see how excited those people are who are part of it to go reach people who don't know Jesus. And so we're, we're thrilled to be able to be partnering with churches like King's uh, Church up in, and, um, in D.C. Uh, with Wesley and with Ben. And we're praying for them. And we're excited about the work that we'll be doing with them. But all in all, when we look at the church and you, and you see what's mentioned here in the Baptist faith, the message, understand that Christ is a shepherd. The pastors are the under shepherd. The church is made up of a bunch of sheep who need their shepherd. And as we move forward, we want to see more sheep come into the fold. And the thing we're going to rejoice in is that the reason we're here, the reason we gather, and the hope that we have is because we've been bought by the blood of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. It's good. Let's pray. Let's just spend a few minutes praying and uh, on that. We'll, we'll close with this. It'll be silent in the room. And, and I just encourage you as, as the church, if you would, just praise God. Praise, praise God that we have a shepherd who loves us. So let's just take a moment. I'm going to kind of guide you through this time, but let's just take a moment.
But praise God that we have a chief shepherd named Jesus.